Hello and welcome to episode number 126 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we have a few things to talk about from Dr. Seuss being canceled, the minimum wage, deep fakes, Taylor Swift. A few of these are new. A few of these are, dare I say, stories we are circling back to. That's the slogan, I think, of the Biden administration. That and bomb, bomb Syria. But I digress. I know I mentioned on the show was trying to do kind of the keto diet thing, which it's not as easy as I first thought. Not because it's hard to stick to the diet in any way, shape or form. It's just hard to know what you can eat, what you can't eat, things that you would think no problem have issues and following everything. It's not even carbohydrates. It's the net carbs you're worried about. So it's kind of a uh, voodoo that is involved in figuring out what works and what doesn't. And I don't know if I've ever really hit into ketosis, but the weight is coming off. So that's a good thing. I guess you need to get some strips and test and see if your body's in ketosis or not, but I'm kind of looking at this right now more as cut down or nearly cut out, actually, all sugars and all grains, which is kind of the keto diet. And the results so far are decent. I mean, I think 20 pounds or so, which is good in just about a month, maybe a little bit under a month. But as I said, it's hard to know what you can and cannot consume. We bought a bunch of bags of the salad mix from Dole, I think it was, just garden salad, the little dollar fifty bags, which are mainly just iceberg lettuce with a little carrot in there and maybe a little bit of radish or something like that. And I went and looked at the bag, and to be fully into the keto diet, they say you should aim for 20 grams of carbs in a day. They say maybe up to 50. Nobody ever talks about the difference either in size. You know, being six foot six, I think I get a little bit more leeway, maybe. But in a bag of this dole, which more or less, again, iceberg lettuce, 12 grams of carbs. Don't know where it's coming from. So you think you're eating healthy or you think you're eating right. And it's all just a very weird math equation. But so far, so good. Just trying to do the best I can do at avoiding sugar, which means no soda, means uh, no sweet tea. So none of the sugary drinks, which I think are at the root of the problems of most people that have a sugar issue. If you drink one can, of whatever sugary drink it is that you prefer a day. As far as average, I mean, they're a little bit different sugars in different products. But on average, if you're drinking a soft drink one a day for a whole year, you're consuming about 30 to 35 pounds of sugar in that year. And don't even then go into desserts and all of that kind of stuff. But for me, getting rid of the sugar wasn't hard. I don't really have that big of a sweet tooth. I'd rather have you know bacon than ice cream. And hey, bacon's on the keto diet. Eat all the bacon you want. I'm sure that's really healthy 
for your heart if you were just to eat bacon, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, all bacon all the time. It'd be a great diet. You'd at least die happy, I guess, when your heart finally exploded. But we'll be following this. So far, I like the results, and it doesn't seem too hard. It just means when you make out that grocery list, you don't add bread, you don't add ice cream. Well, actually, that's not true. There is an ice cream brand, the name of which is Rebel, that we tried a couple of the flavors. I don't have to say the Rebel Keto Cherry Chip Ice Cream. Absolutely delicious. Zero grams of sugar per half cup. I mean, unfortunately, per half cup, there's 14 total carbs. But again, you're doing math here when it comes to diets, and that's no fun. I think it takes a bit of experimentation. And I know there are a few people out there probably listening to this that have gone through this, including our buddy Phone Boy, our buddy Getting Cooked with Craig up in Canada. Although I saw he was having a really big sandwich the other day that just looked delightful and totally not keto friendly. And yes, I was totally jealous. But I've heard other people that have tried this kind of thing and had great success. And so far, so good. Give it a try. Just don't drive yourself completely nuts with it and realize that progress isn't going to be immediate. Keep your eye on the prize. All those cliches. You know how it is. But a lot of things going on in the world. I mean, most importantly, of course, Dr. Seuss has now been outed as a horrible racist person, and six of his books have been canceled, won't be published anymore. This was, of course, in conjunction with his publisher and the people that are running his estate. The reality is, Dr. Seuss seemingly did publish some very racist things early in his career. Does that make all of his works off limits? I don't know. That's a very slippery slope when you start canceling people for their worst days or their worst years, especially people like Dr. Seuss, who appears to have evolved over his life and became a pretty good guy and did a lot of good things. I don't know if we really want to continue down this path. And we've talked about it here a bunch of times, including the Major League Baseball all-star pitcher, Josh Hader, who was then sent to whatever class they sent him to sensitivity training for something he had posted as a 16-year-old or something like that while he was still in high school. I think we should judge people on their current actions and not try to go find things from people's past to totally cancel them out. The books that were wiped out were not ones that I'd ever heard of. The titles are, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, Mick Elligott's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. I can't say that I'd ever heard of any of those. The interesting thing is we were going after everybody, we being the cancel culture, that dared say anything good about Donald Trump. Well, on March 2nd, 2017, Kamala Harris tweeted, happy birthday, Dr. Seuss, and then dared to quote him. The more that you read, 
The more things you will know, the more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Wow, Kamala Harris was quoting this horrible person, Dr. Seuss. So what do we do to her now? Barack Obama also said some very nice things about Dr. Seuss. Do we cancel him? I guess maybe. This is a slippery slope you go down when you start this cancel culture stuff. And there are people that ended up doing great things in their lives that had things in their lives that maybe they weren't all that proud of. When you start taking people's names off of buildings, you start looking into their past and say, well, there was this one incident where we should go after whoever for this. And there was an article on the Breitbart website from uh, Mike Cernovich talking about the only way to beat cancel culture is to cancel it, to play the same game, to go after the people on the other side of the political aisle that are pushing this, because this is a fairly split thing. There are not a lot of people on the right that are going out right now and trying to have people canceled, especially for things they did, you know, a hundred years ago. With that said, I don't like that concept, but I can understand that it may be the only thing that will work. We talked about it here on the episode that I did about Kate Smith when, because of a song she sang in a movie, her statue was taken down in front of the Philadelphia Flyers Arena. The rendition that she did of God Bless America was no longer played at Yankee Stadium, where it had been played every seventh inning stretch since 9-11-2001, because the things she did were no different than what Frank Sinatra did in song, daring to use certain words that are not politically correct any longer. But Kate Smith was canceled and Frank Sinatra wasn't. I think it was because she was a much easier target that her fan base is not really there anymore. So nobody really cared. Nobody was putting up a fight. But if you're going to start going after the Dr. Seuss's, the Abraham Lincoln's and the George Washington's for transgressions of their earlier lives or small blips on the radar of a life that actually accomplished a lot of great things, you have to point then if you're going to play that game, if you're going to go after the other side. I think the person you start looking at is Martin Luther King, and I hope that does not happen. I hope that does not happen, but it may be what has to happen in order for a lot of people pushing this cancel culture to realize nobody is above and beyond the cancel culture. Once this starts, Nobody is coming out the other side unscathed. Nobody has lived a perfectly great life where they never said something they regretted or did something they regretted. Nobody is coming out the other side. And I don't really understand where that leads everybody as a society. Once everybody's canceled, maybe we're all back to square one and some kind of normalcy begins again. 
But there's no question about it. Martin Luther King did some really bad stuff, was tied to some really bad stuff. You can do your own homework if you want to find out more. It's not where I want his legacy to go because he did a lot of great things. Dr. Seuss, the same way. Okay, early in his life, he was a total racist, but then he changed. Are people not allowed to change anymore? Are people not allowed to say, hey, you know what? When I was a kid, I was a moron. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was doing. I probably offended a lot of people. Can you not recover from that? Is that not the point of life to live, to learn, to grow, to understand the mistakes that you made in the past? And all of those things together make you into a better person? I don't know. When it comes to Dr. Seuss, will these be the only books canceled? Probably not. Are they the only books going to be canceled? Probably not. We've already heard this with Tom Sawyer, the book by Mark Twain, because of language used in characters in the movie portraying different groups in a way that was rude or that they didn't like. I don't understand getting rid of art. I thought art was supposed to sometimes poke the bear in order to get a reaction. That's what we were told anyway from the leftists when art came out a few years back, which had something like Jesus on the cross in a vat of urine. I mean, we were told then that this was just art. This was an expression. This was meant to make you think. I guess nobody wants to think anymore, or they only want you to think in one direction. And if you don't think the same way that they think, then you're going to be canceled. And then they call you the fascist. I mean, that's just the funniest thing of all. It's like they don't even understand the words that are coming out of their mouth. And that happens a lot with politicians. The minimum wage thing is still being argued. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez still doesn't get it. We've talked about it a lot here and over on Grumpy Old Ben's about the origins of the minimum wage and why it was evil. And it was really meant to keep the folks who maybe didn't have the best educations, to keep the folks on the lower end of the economic scale, to keep the folks that are in the minorities out of the workforce. Raising the minimum wage does that. That's what it was intended to do. That is what it will do because once the minimum wage goes up, there will be less jobs. And who do you think is going to get the jobs that are available? Well, it's going to be the people who have the most experience and qualification. So it ends up hurting those that don't. AOC, though, still doesn't get it because the raise of the minimum wage to $15 was kicked out of the COVID relief bill because they realized overstepping can't legally do it. And she's not happy about that quote from her on Twitter. It is utterly embarrassing that pay people enough to live is a stance that's even up for debate. Override the parliamentarian and raise the wage. I mean, either she's a complete moron which I didn't think she was, maybe she is, that doesn't understand what she's asking for will hurt the people that live in Queens, 
the area that she represents, but maybe she doesn't care because she's not one of them. And the simple mathematics of all this still doesn't make sense, which is if the minimum wage doubles in a society, then the cost of goods most likely is going to double because everything is going to cost more if every company has to pay their employees twice what they were. And I understand there's, that's a simplification. Not everybody's making minimum wage, yada, yada, yada. But it's still a fairly simple concept to grasp. Once the minimum wage gets doubled, the cost of any business that has employees is going to go up, which is also why there's a lot of people that would end up losing their jobs if the minimum wage was raised. We talked about that as well, where the Congressional Budget Department came out and said, well, yeah, this would raise 900,000 people out of poverty, but it was also going to kill like a million and a half jobs. So, I mean, you were going to help some people, but you were actually going to hurt more because those jobs going away isn't a good thing. And what happens where you have a lot of people that are making the lower end of the scale, minimum wage, would be places like fast food restaurants. And what we've seen as a result of this, I believe way more than just, oh, technology is great and we want to move on because technology costs a lot to implement. But there are companies now like White Castle, like McDonald's, that are working on systems, testing systems out, not just maybe we can do this. They're testing systems out. White Castle has a robot that can pretty much do everything the kitchen can do. It can make your burgers. It can make your fries. Doesn't need a person involved at all once it's set up. McDonald's has been doing a lot with kiosk systems where you just walk in and you press a few buttons to order your food rather than dealing with the teenager who was in their first job just trying to make a few bucks. Well, if everything goes to kiosks and robots, well, where are people going to work? Where are the minimum wage jobs going to be? Hopefully not, you know, your doctor or people that have to do important work. But I don't know. That's the problem when you just say, hey, raise this so people can make enough to live. The concept is way more complex, I guess, than AOC can understand. Or she understands it completely and her socialist roots are showing, which is she wants to put people out of work. So then you can demand and they're already starting this because there's already talk of, well, why don't we just keep these payments to our citizens going out from the government indefinitely, you know, to help because of the pandemic, which is socialism. It's the government paying you just to be you just to be here, just to sit on your behind, eating bonbons, watching whatever you watch all day on TV, on Netflix, whatever you're doing. That is another slippery slope because I don't know where the money's coming from. The country gets deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. Nobody seems to worry about that. Certainly not AOC. She wants to keep on printing money until everything falls apart. Look up the Weimar Republic in Germany, see how that goes, and get back to me. That's homework. There's another thing we can circle back to. I know it sounds like Jen Psaki, 
the deep fakes, which we did a whole episode on, it seems like way, way, way long ago before all this COVID thing started. It's back in the news because somebody started an account, which is deep fake Tom Cruise on TikTok. And if you're on TikTok, why are you there to begin with? But this made national news. And I did watch a couple of the videos. And I have to say, I would have probably been fooled that this was, in fact, Tom Cruise. It looks like Tom Cruise. He has the same mannerisms in the face. He sounds like Tom Cruise. And this is why you have to be very careful now about anything you see or hear online, including videos. If we're going to believe that Donald Trump just saying the wrong words can incite such violence that people will attack the Capitol because they saw it online, then we have to worry that somebody's going to create a fake video that looks like it's Donald Trump that says do X, Y, and Z. The reality is a lot of people would believe it if they saw it because they don't understand deep fakes. They don't know just how good they have gotten. And anything you see has to be questioned now. Anything you see that shows somebody doing something illegal, you have to question it. It's going to be used at the very least to cancel people because it's going to be very easy to make a video of whoever you want to target, whether it's a political figure or what. It'll be very easy to make a video which makes it look like they're doing something horrible saying something horrible and tons of people will believe it no matter what. And this is a very dangerous thing. It wasn't that long ago that a picture could be used as proof and it wasn't easy to even manipulate a still image. Now it is very easy to manipulate videos, to put words into people's mouths I saw an article the other day, which was just very weird. It just it just didn't sit right with me that this was one of these genealogy websites that had a new feature where you could take your old photographs of people in your family or anybody, I suppose, and upload them and the AI of the system would animate the person very realistic but very creepy that you see okay we started out with this black and white photo of grandma and all of a sudden her eyes blink and her head moves a little bit in one direction or the other and the smile moves up and down a little it's very weird but it's something everybody should understand again that this exists that you cannot believe what you see, you cannot believe what you hear, and you have to understand that the technology exists to do all kinds of crazy stuff. This has already been happening with large corporations that somebody in the corporation had gotten a phone call. I mean, let's go back to Apple in the day when Steve Jobs was alive. The people at Apple would have known his voice, and it's very easy to spoof a caller ID number to add to the ruse and call up Apple and say, hey, get me whoever. This is Steve Jobs. 
then you see, well, it looked like the number is Steve Jobs' number, and the voice sounds like Steve Jobs, and he says, hey, I need you to do this right now. It would have gotten done. This is happening now to companies that are getting calls from people who are either really good, you know, the new Rich Little, able to do the impersonation, or most likely it's using electronic means, using computers and AI to generate what's being said. Much easier even if you're leaving somebody a voicemail because they don't get a chance to challenge you. They don't get a chance to question you, which is why I still like talking to somebody directly one-on-one. It makes things a little bit more personal, obviously, but it also cuts down on these kind of shenanigans because they are going on and most likely somebody you know will be a victim of this because there's already scams going where somebody will call up and be like, well, you know, your grandchild is in jail and they need to be bailed out. So send us the number off a bunch of gift cards from wherever. And people fall for that. And that to me never made sense how people fall for that. But the reality is, if the voice on the other end of the phone now sounds like your grandson saying, Grandma, I really need money. Can you do this for me? It raises us to a level that is concerning because one, more people are going to fall for it. And two, you can't even trust that the person on the other end of the phone is actually who they're saying they are without having some kind of confirmation. So be aware, again, that this technology exists. It's out there in the wild. The deep fake Tom Cruise is fun to watch, but there are real repercussions coming from this. In an article from the Times in the UK, they say that changes to the law will be necessary to safeguard everyone. Well, Times, I hate to tell you, The world is not safe. You're never going to safeguard everyone. But they say that experts say that it should be a crime to share a deep fake image, which also adds a whole bunch of new issues to the Internet. Sharing a deep fake image is not the same as creating one. And do I think creating a deep fake image should be a crime? I don't know. It's definitely impersonating somebody, but we have laws that are out there for things like satire. And for that, I think it's great. Now, if you're going to create a video of a CEO of a company again to defraud the company, then that itself is illegal. If you're going to create a fake of somebody's child, in order to scam them out of something, then that would also be illegal. Not the fact that you created the video. It's the fact that you're committing a crime. So this is going to be interesting to watch as well with all the deep fakes. It's getting more prevalent and the technology, which was fairly easy to spot about a year ago, getting way harder to spot. I don't believe for a minute that anybody's going to be able to come up with an automated system that's going to be able to, with regularity, spot what is real and what is not. 
One thing that doesn't seem to be real right now is Taylor Swift's grasp on what words mean or her grasp on reality. And it's a shame because I like Taylor's music a lot. And when she wasn't political, I appreciated her way more. But it's okay that she wanted to come out and start being political and start backing candidates or whatever. That's cool. But she's a public figure and needs to understand that occasionally, as a public figure, you're going to get mentioned on television shows. Maybe you're going to be the butt of a little bit of a joke or something. Now, when people do it to Donald Trump, it's great. I mean, you can say all the hateful things you want about people on the right, but Taylor Swift doesn't like a line that was on a Netflix show. She took to Twitter on Monday of this week to slam Netflix and the series Ginny and Georgia, one I'd never heard of, but she said, hey, Ginny and Georgia, 2010 called, and it wants its lazy, deeply sexist joke back. How about we stop degrading hardworking women by defining this horseshit as funny? See, here's how you know Taylor's mad. She's swearing. Ooh, that's so dangerous, Taylor. Also, Netflix, after Miss Americana, this outfit doesn't look cute on you. Happy Women's History Month, I guess. So I know the question everybody's asking. Well, I mean, beyond everybody saying who cares, the question you may be asking is, what was the joke? What was the joke in the Netflix series that got Taylor Swift so riled up? She included. This was very nice of her. She did all the work for me. And I appreciate that, Taylor Swift. Thank you. She included a screen capture of the show with the subtitles on, the closed captioning, so you could see exactly what the joke was. And it was a character in the show said, I quote, what do you care? You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift thinks that's sexist in some way shape or form i don't understand how that's sexist at all i don't even understand how it's a joke it's been a long running meme that taylor swift went through a bunch of relationships and everybody overall does at some point in their life but i don't see how that line was sexist because if you were to say you know you go through women faster than wilt chamberlain well, is that sexist? I don't think so. It's pointing out criticism, I guess, of an individual. Their sex is irrelevant. So to call it sexist, Taylor Swift either doesn't understand what sexism is, and I guess she doesn't understand what a joke is, because this I don't think was meant as a joke. But okay, I guess if this is what you want to be upset about, Taylor, that's fine. You may want to stick to music. Because there was nothing sexist, there wasn't a joke, and you are a public figure, so people are going to say things about you. Some of them are going to be true, some of them aren't going to be true. To get mentioned at all should pretty much be an honor. It comes down to that old adage that any publicity is good publicity, and if you're getting mentioned, just roll with it. Write a song about it if you have to. I mean, you have in the past. And called a bunch of ex-boyfriends out. But then if somebody mentions that, you get upset. I don't understand. That's your career. That's your art. Own it. 
laugh it off, and then nobody will care. But now they know they're getting under your skin, and that's always a bad thing, Taylor. Always a bad thing. As I record this show, it is March 3rd, 2021, and on this date in history, back in 1847, Alexander Graham Bell was born. This is a guy that did some pretty amazing things. He also worked with eugenics or talked about eugenics a little, which had people questioning. Of course, he may be canceled if we say that too loudly, but he did a lot for the world by being the person credited as inventing and patenting the first practical telephone system, which was the technology of turning sound into electricity and then back into sound. He did this with his partner, Thomas Watson, very famous. March 10th, 1876, which would be the anniversary next Wednesday of the first ever telephone call was something like, come here, Watson, I need you. That is the history of where the telephone allegedly came from. There was a lot of people that fought this that were working on similar things. And there was a 20-year legal battle about who actually had the rights and the patent and should have the patent for the first telephone. The government of the United States even moved to withdraw Alexander Graham Bell's patent, but it then went through a bunch of different court rulings up to the Supreme Court, which ruled in his favor. In the end, there were over 550 challenges, but all of them were unsuccessful. Alexander Graham Bell went on to co-found AT&T. And the thing with inventing the telephone is in 1876, he is also credited with inventing the very first microphone, which podcasters everywhere should be thanking Alexander Graham Bell for setting into motion the technology that would allow me to speak into a device here in my office and have it go out to each and every one of you all around the globe. It is pretty damn cool. Alexander Graham Bell's main work was working with the deaf. He married a deaf woman. He did a lot of work on helping deaf people communicate. And I thought the most interesting thing about his inventing the telephone was he considered the telephone an intrusion on his real work, which was a scientist working with the deaf. And he refused to have a telephone in his study where he was doing his work because he didn't want to be interrupted. Can you imagine Alexander Graham Bell? Seeing what's going on today with telephones where people carry them with them in every room of the house while they're outside, they're enjoying nature. They could be in the most beautiful place in the world on a beach looking out at a sunset and be interrupted by that little intrusion device that nobody can live without right now. I wonder, I wonder how he would view how telephones are used today as opposed to 
back when he invented these things, I think he might be horrified. A quote from Bell, the only difference between success and failure is the ability to take action. And that is absolutely true. You're never going to accomplish anything if you don't try. You're never going to accomplish anything if you don't brush yourself off after your failures. If you never get started, if you never take action, you'll never accomplish anything. And I do want to wish a very happy birthday tomorrow on the 4th. Somebody that invented something that I like almost as much as microphones. She gave birth to my wife, Kimberly, and almost as much as microphones somewhere. There's a scale you have to understand, but a very happy birthday. Thanks for listening to the show. And time does fly. It was a year ago. We all went out for pizza on the 4th because, again, birthday. Also, my wife's brother's birthday as well. And we all went out for pizza. And everything seemed fairly normal. We were just talking a little bit about COVID. And it was weird because her brother's whole family had a flu-like disease. Could have been COVID. Nobody knows. We know it was around at that point now. But that was the last time we were in a pizza place the week after. Because it's our wedding anniversary coming up next week. We went out with my parents. And those were the last two restaurants that we were in for sit-down dining. So it's been a year. I'm ready for this all to be over. I'm ready for things to get back opened up and normal, as I'm sure everybody listening is. Texas is doing it. We're going to watch. We're going to see how that goes. But again, Mom, very happy birthday. I hope it is a good one. And I do want to thank the people that both listen to the show and support the show. We do work on the value for value model that we learned from Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak of the No Agenda podcast. And that is we do these shows to put some value out there. You can figure out whatever value you got, and then you can turn around and send that value back to us in whatever form that you want. One way is monetarily, and you can do that by going to randomthoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com, clicking the donate button. You can do a one-time donation or a monthly donation. There's a QR code or Bitcoin address if you want to do the crypto thing. And there's also a snail mail address if you want to get the post office involved which we like because then there's no fees being paid to anybody like PayPal or Patreon or anything like that. And we also do have a Patreon, no extra content, just a way to get funds from one place to another, patreon.com slash random thoughts. And we do have a couple of people to thank today. The first is Daniel Walraven coming in with $10. And I believe that is a monthly donation. So thank you, Daniel and Brian Ganak, who is over on Patreon, the Lone Patreon guy. Uh, it must be lonely over there, but thank you, Brian, coming in at $5 a month. We greatly appreciate it. I know he listens to our buddy Larry too over at that LarryShow.com. And if you don't listen to Larry, you're missing out. The guy's called Mr. Velvet for a reason. He's got the voice and he tells some absolutely great tales. You should be listening to him. And that'll give you something to do before I'm back next Wednesday with another episode of Random Thoughts. But until then, have a great week. I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.